It's the November 8th, 2019 episode of Weekly Signals Meltdown. We're broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And as always, the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band's official mascot, Mahler, the fake news dog. Today, today we'll be talking about untold suffering. <laughs> yeah, not for you, Mahler. No, Mahler. Sudden oak death, a hostile takeover of PGE, cerebrospinal fluid washes, and more. But first, are you going to the KUCI 50th anniversary party tomorrow night? I am. I am going to that. Uh, it's the 50-year anniversary of the greatest radio station that's ever been created. That's true. From the New York Times, mm-hmm. scientists discovered that vulturine guinea fowl, that's a, a bird, mm-hmm. vulturine guinea fowl, they actually live today in multi-level societies, kind of like our own multi-level society. Really? Yeah. They have a caste system is what you're telling me. Yeah. You have different groups, yeah. subgroups. Yeah. yeah. You got friends. Yeah. Uh, within groups, you have friends. Yeah. You have little cliques. It's kind of like the KUCI 50th anniversary uh, party. <laughs> Very much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder, do uh, vulturine guinea fowls gossip? <laughs> What's remarkable is vulturine guinea fowl don't only have tiny little brains compared to mammals. Mm. They have tiny little brains compared to birds. Wow. Yeah. And yet, they have a multi-level society. That's amazing. Because people have long thought that living in a multi-level society is one of the reasons why we've evolved our large brains. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Some of us have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm Who not are you a, talking about? Yeah, Mahler. Yeah, Mahler. Yeah, Mahler. Well, you know. Yeah. Mahler, if it flies like a guinea fowl, it looks like a guinea fowl. Yeah. It, it is might a, be Mahler. It might be Mahler. Yeah. Researchers have found multi-level societies in some other large-brained mammals like monkeys, elephants, giraffes, and sperm whales. Mahler's not mentioned here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know. Uh, But this is the first time anyone has observed a multi-level society in a bird. In a bird. Yeah. And what's more, among primates like you and me, Mike, it's not always the brainiest species that have multi-level societies. Living in this kind of society might actually make it easier to have a bird brain. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It's in simple, a multi-level system. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, simple. simple yeah. yeah, because it helps you keep track of a social order. Right. You're just, right. You, you know, right off uh-huh. where, where you stand, right. I guess. Right. But then people like us, we don't ever know where we stand. I, so, yeah. I, I kind of know where I stand. You do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of know. Uh, having a multi-level structure may in and of itself not require having a large brain, which explains a lot. Yeah, you know? it does. It I mean, does. when you think about a lot of different structures in society, say the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That is definitely a multi-level society. In some ways, it's one of the members of that society is trying to make it a two-level. Two-level. Him and then and everybody, everybody else. else. Yeah. yeah. The Republican Party, multi-level. It is almost a feudal system. Yeah. Right now it is. Right. The, and the serfs are pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> We're not talking about you. No, Mahler. From The Guardian. That's a British paper, but they they cover U.S. news pretty well. Very well. I like The Guardian a lot. 
the inhabitants of planet Earth, that would be you and I, Mike, so far. and, and yeah. you know all the other people here, yeah. could face untold suffering due to the climate crisis unless there are major transformations of global multi-level society, <laughs> according to a warning from more than 11,000 scientists. Yeah. 11,000 11, scientists. Yes. That's a good figure. Yes. The scientists say the urgent changes needed include ending population growth. Right. Well, not ending it, but getting it under control. Right. Leaving fossil fuels in the ground. Yes. Halting forest destruction and stop eating so much goddamn meat. Exactly right. What I took away from reading this article was... Oh, is upset I'm about the meat part Well, there. he does like meat. That's true. You know what? You just give him a bone. He gets well, the kind of get the meat off the bone. Out in the forest, he's out there all the time. There's got to be a deer that's kicked yeah. off, you know. And road he roadkill, roadkill, yeah. <laughs> so start considering that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, this story that you're reading right now, yeah. it sounds in tone like a plea. Like this is we're not asking. We're telling you this is going to happen, and for the love of yeah. God, if we don't do something about it literally right now, yeah. we're in a lot of trouble. Increasing air travel. Yeah, that's another yeah, one. Yeah, stop going to Colorado to ski. I know, yeah. and uh, thank you, Nathan, because I'm heading there in three weeks, but yes. Are you flying? Yeah, flying. But you're going there to see My family. Uncle. Yeah. Yeah, you go there a couple times a year. I go twice a year. That's he's, the only what, time. he's 100 years old? He will be 100 years this old. This year? Literally, yes. Uh, your excuse. Yeah, okay. I think All something right, but, like that's good. But, but I, just in praise of Nathan, he has been advocating for, as long as I've known you, uh-huh. air travel is a bad thing. And you've explained why many times. But to your credit, thank you for that. Yeah. Anyway, increasing air travel and gauging the world through its gross domestic product instead of its sustainable value aren't helping matters either. There you go. That's another one. So get ready for wildfire hurricanes. But it's not too late. They always say that. It's not too late. Well, it might be too late, but we're getting close to the deadline. That's what we're trying to tell you right right here. Right, right. Yeah. It's like the teacher in your class. I'm speaking to the students who are listening to the sound of my voice here. And that is when they say that, that your term paper is due, you know, Friday. Yeah. But sometimes they'll let you turn it in it's on Saturday. not too late. Yeah. If you, if you go to the teacher and you make up a really good excuse, maybe Saturday. Yeah, a different kind of teacher. Oh. What kind of teacher does that? Sometimes. I'm a lot stricter. Oh, well, yeah. Where'd you go? You went to Catholic school, too. <laughs> Until I realized where I was. Yeah. Uh, The scientists laid out five urgently needed actions. Number one, use energy far more efficiently and apply strong carbon taxes to cut fossil fuel use. Number two, stabilize global population, currently growing by 200,000 people a day. And there's a little parentheses, using ethical approaches such as a longer education. For girls, they put. Absolutely. I would say longer education for everyone. everyone. I find that a little bit offensive that, you know, well, Guardian w- talks like that. And, well, and women, these 11,000 scientists w- go along with it. Well, yeah. Women around the world are not educated. Uh, they females, don't have access to school. It should be everybody. Well, I agree. Males are in on this job, right. too. All right. We Fair have enough. penises. That has something to do with population growth. Part of that has also to do, when they say education, I also believe them to be referring to having access to... That's exactly what they mean. Sexual education. You're not going in there to study Spinoza. 
Well, it might help. Or if you were take, well, you, you mean if you took some SART, you wouldn't even have babies. Okay, so yeah, there, that's true. Yeah, maybe some so, real depressing <laughs> existentialism. Well, tone down the population. Number three, end the destruction of nature and restore forests. That's a, and mangroves to absorb CO two, whatever the hell a mangrove is. It's a British term. I'm it sure offends so. me that it's a hedgehog. The Guardian didn't say women groves. <laughs> Number four, eat mostly plants and less meat and reduce food waste. Okay, that's yeah. easy enough. We throw a lot of it's the meat away. It's, 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 it's killing meat. Us. It is meat. Yeah, and especially the cows out there. Exactly. How many times do you have to say it, and you still have people going, well, "I like my meat, man. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. live without my meat." Uh, yeah, Jesus, you can. Man. Actually, you'll live longer without yeah. your meat. And number five. Shift economic goals away from a gross domestic product growth. Now, there were critics of the report. Avrind Ravi Kumar, an assistant professor of energy engineering at Harrisburg University of Science and Technology, said a bunch of white people in the developed world saying population should be reduced is the definition of an imperialist framing. The article that you read last week had to do with five reasons why climate crisis is so hard to overcome. And one of them is that countries that are not developed yeah. will say, well, you guys did it. Why can't we? You're impeding our ability to grow. Well, us guys, many years ago, were doing it, and they were stupid. And we're telling you, they were stupid for doing it. I agree. So if you do it, you're going to screw things up for everybody right. because we've reached a tipping point. Now, the solution is better education. Again, yes. it's not racial framing or nationalist framing. The proposal that the world needs to shift economic priorities away from growth in gross domestic product and toward meeting basic human needs and reducing inequality was also criticized. Wow. I don't get that. I don't either. Uh, you know, they didn't put it as meeting basic human needs and reducing inequality. They just said, we can't do the gross domestic product, get rid of that, because rising gross domestic product levels in many parts of the world reflect declining inequality. It reflects it as poor people in developing nations rise toward the middle class. But the GDP is a bad way it is. to measure how prosperous a society is. It always has been. Yeah. We've believed it before we actually understood it. We have got to figure out a way to redefine wealth. Whatever that is, uh, the definition of wealth has got to be reconfigured in some way so that we have a more sustainable future. Yeah, not how many plastic toys you own. Right, exactly. Uh, many prominent names in climate science are conspicuously absent from the list of signatories, and many researchers who added their names are in fields outside climate and energy. Well, they never said they were. One notable name that does not appear is James Hansen, an adjunct professor at Columbia, who is considered the father of climate research for his early and influential modeling studies. All right. Well, See ya. So let's just chuck the whole thing out. Yeah. I mean, what what do we say? I'm sure he can have differences. Nevertheless, James, Jimmy, Jimmy, check out the graphs. Check these out. Screw your hockey stick. Look at this. If this news confuses you, May I recommend a donation to KUCI to clear your head? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio at 88.9 FM, KUCI.org.
from Euronews. France and China affirmed their mutual support for the Paris Climate Agreement just days after the USA, under bird-brained Republicans, made its formal step to withdraw the U.S. from the accord and taking a minor step toward uh, addressing the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all it would do. The Paris Accord isn't some radical plan. It's, it's setting the bar so low that almost any country should be able to yeah. work with it. Yeah. But this is just an FU to Cheeto. This restating this here. They're, of, they're restating of, uh, their, uh, their support for yeah, the Paris France Agreement. And China. Yeah. 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 French President Emmanuel Macron and Chinese President Xi Jinping got together on this. Yeah. Macron said he deplored the decision by some other countries to withdraw. Yeah. I want to see them as marginal choices, <laughs> Macron said, <laughs> because when China, the EU, Russia are firmly committed, the isolated choice of one is not enough to change the course of the world. It only leads to marginalized it, or whatever the name of that country that Drew is. That's what he was talking about. Yeah. We France. are becoming marginalized because of our refusal to participate with the world in trying to curb global warming. To bring in a sports metaphor, this agreement is a layup. It doesn't impede very much of our development. It is setting kind of the lowest bar that is that even China would be willing to accept, and they did. Yeah. From inverse. Oh. Yeah. Uh, according to new research, we've seriously underestimated how important tropical rainforests are for protecting against the effects of climate change. The amount of carbon released from cleared tropical rainforest between 2000 and 2013 is estimated to be more than 600% higher than previously thought. That's a lot of percentage points there. That is. 600. Yeah. I don't like that. That's up from 340 million tons of carbon to 2.12 billion tons. Ouch. The reason for the dramatic increase has to do with how carbon release is calculated. The effects of selected logging, wildlife loss, and changes in ecology all contribute to the spike in carbon emissions. This study only focuses on intact tropical rainforests. That means they're uh, largely untouched by humans. Right. These are ones that we're not trying to necessarily point to and save. Yeah. yeah. So far, we haven't gotten to them. Yeah. These forests store large amounts of carbon and are more resistant to stress from fires and drought, making them key players in mitigating the effects of climate change. The results make a case for including these kinds of intact forests in conservation strategies to curb the effects of the climate crisis. But most national governments fail to recognize or prioritize the retention of intact tropical forests as a means of meeting their commitments under the Paris Agreement. Why is that? We don't want to get into that. Those forests over there, they don't count because we're not logging. Right. You know, those are national parks or right. whatever it is. Right. And you can see what Trump's doing to our national parks. Right. He just opened yeah. up Tongass, which yeah. is the largest national forest. The rate at which intact forests are being lost is increasing, closing off opportunities for countries to use them in mitigation efforts. Mm -hmm. And the focus shouldn't just be on the tropics. Between one-half and two-thirds of carbon removal of intact ecosystem actually occurs outside the tropics. Should I be encouraged by this news? No, no, but people generally think of 
oh, it's the Amazon. So there's yeah. people in South America that need to worry about this stuff. Right. And, yeah. and uh, here in the USA, we don't have any forests to speak of. So drill, baby, drill. Uh, from Vice, the new Keystone oil spill. Why are we laughing about this? I don't know. Yeah. We shouldn't be. You know? It's inappropriate. There, there are students here. They're going to feel the brunt of this. I know. And we'll probably be dead when the, really the shite hits the fan. Exactly. I mean, it's starting to hit it right now. It I is. can feel flecks of excrement hitting my face. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. From Vice, mm -hmm. the new Keystone oil spill uh, will be nearly impossible to clean up. Yes. This the, is crazy stuff. Yeah. I didn't realize it was quite this bad. <laughs> yeah. What was going on there? The pipeline spilled 383,000 gallons worth of concentrated dirty oil into North Dakota's wetlands. Now, this isn't... A ton, if you just look at it, it's like a half Olympic-sized pool. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, that's not a big deal. The pipeline carries oil sludge from tar sands fields in Alberta, Canada, across more than 2,000 miles of pristine wetlands in the Dakotas through Nebraska to Patoka, Illinois. Pipeline company TC Energy, formerly TransCanada, they always change their names when people start catching on that they're doing something rotten. Right. Uh, TC Energy projected that the pipeline would spill just 11 times over the course of 50 years. Yes. That's what they projected. That's what they sold. Or about once every seven years. That's right. Since it started pumping nine years ago, it's already spilled large amounts of oil four times. <coughs> They're saying once every seven years, and now it's only been nine years, and it's already spilled four times. So it should have taken 28 years. Right. It's a lot of oil. Tar sands oil is a mixture of clay, water, and a thick, heavy oil called uh, bitumen or bitumen. Okay. Yeah. Huh? What do you prefer, Mahler? Bitumen or bitumen? Yeah. Bitu yeah. Bitumen. Yeah. 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 Well, he likes bitches. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Bitumen is what they say in England. Mm -hmm. They're a little bit cagier there yeah, over there but, in, yeah, in, on, the, on the island. Yeah. We say bitumen because we're afraid of cussing yeah. unless we're the president. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the bitumen is the sticky stuff that binds cement together. So this is sticky oil. Yeah. This is dirty stuff. Yeah. The oil gets dissolved in a cocktail of chemicals to allow it to flow through a pipeline. So they put all these chemicals in it to break it down so it actually can move. Otherwise, it would get stuck in the pipeline. Yeah. It'd be yeah. like pushing cement yeah. through a pipeline. TC Energy estimates that 383 gallons of a particularly sludgy tar sands oil spilled out of the pipeline on October 29th near Edinburgh, North Dakota. When tar sand oil spills, the chemical cocktail evaporates quickly, causing toxic short-term air pollution and leaves the heavy bitumen behind, which sinks. Now, this is the bad part. Once bitumen sinks to the bottom of a lake or wetland, it's tougher to clean up than conventional oil, which floats and can be skimmed off the surface. Not to mention that extracting, refining, and burning tar sands oil sends more carbon emissions into the atmosphere than crude oil. One barrel's worth of tar sands oil produces about 20% more greenhouse gas emissions than a barrel of conventional oil. Do remember when the founder of 350.org, Bill McKibben, was talking about the tar sands, the Alberta tar sands, and he, along with other scientists, were saying 
that this is a deal breaker in terms of the earth. If we go full bore into developing this huge reserve of the what they call tar sands in Canada, it will release so much carbon into the atmosphere that yeah. it will be nearly impossible to overcome the effects of it. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to KUCI.org. That's right. From Bloomberg, an energy breakthrough could store solar power for decades. Yeah. Researchers in Sweden have created a molecule that offers a way to trap heat from the sun. That's pretty cool. The system starts with a liquid molecule made up of carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. When hit by sunlight, the molecule draws in the sun's energy and holds it until a catalyst triggers its released as heat. They didn't say what the catalyst would be, but nevertheless, apparently they got plutonium. Plutonium. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, there's one. Yeah. There's one small problem. Prune juice. <laughs> Prune juice. Yeah. The researchers also created a specialized storage unit which has the stability to outlast the five to ten year lifespan of typical lithium ion batteries on the market today. So they got a good deal going there. There's a lot going on that's really encouraging. The most advanced potential commercial use the team developed is a transparent coating, a transparent coating that can be applied to home windows, a moving vehicle, now they could put it on your car, or even your clothing. Yeah. In fact, I brought a little bit of it along right now. <laughs> yeah. I thought you might like to uh, paint some on. I, I wondered why yeah. you were you were glowing yeah, today. Yeah, that, yeah. That's just, that's so, so. Mahler gay. too. Mahler, he, oh, Mahler. He, he loves his new coating. <laughs> He's, he he has an aura about him yeah. right now, and and he says he feels a little bit warm. <laughs> Stay out of the sun, we... From the San Francisco Chronicle, you know I uh, subscribed to that paper because uh, it had a deal. You know that it was like uh, ninety nine cents for three months online. Okay. I've been enjoying it; it's yeah. pretty nice. But I'm going to search around the country for other independent papers and see if they have any deals. Bet they do. Just to go and see what it's like in other cities and how they're reporting the news is fascinating. Yeah. And what's going on locally is yeah. fascinating. There is a lot going on locally. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. From the San Francisco Chronicle, sudden oak death is spreading fast. California's coastal forests face devastation because of this. Phytothera ramorum. That's the perpetrator of the sudden oak death and it's established itself throughout the Bay Area and is spread along the coast from Monterey to Humboldt County. Millions of coast live oak and tan oak trees have withered and died over the past quarter century, leaving acres of kindling for wildfires. But the outbreak this year was one of the worst. The rate of trees infected almost doubled in 2019 from 3.5% to 5.9% and was 10 times higher in some places compared with a 20. 18 survey. The disease spreads faster in the kind of wet weather that hit California last winter. Mm -hmm. It kills oak trees, including California's signature tree, the live oak. Mm -hmm. You've seen those all over. Yeah. I remember when going up to Thousand Oaks, that, I mean, they used to be heavily populated with those. It still is in some places, and they have restrictions on 
being able to take them down in that area. Mm. But this, well, this area <clears throat> used to be heavy with live oak, too. It's all over the state where this is happening, and there are 107 susceptible host plants. In other words, they can carry this, including such common garden ornamentals as camellias and rhododendrons. Mm. The trees themselves provide food, habitat, and shelter for insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. Biologists are also concerned that sudden oak death will change the microclimate of the redwood forests, mm. where tan oaks are an understory tree. Mm. So we don't want to lose our redwoods. No, we They're don't. They're already starting to feel some of the effects of climate change. Mm. Dead and dying oak trees also make wildfires hotter and cause them to spread more quickly. <laughs> <sighs> From Truth Dig by Greg Palace. Do you remember Greg? God, I remember like, Greg yeah, Palace. Back in the days of the Iraq War. And did we had invasion. him on. Did we have him on Weekly Signals? We might have. I think, I think so. we did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, our good friend, Greg Palast, yes, writes that the state of California uh, should buy out Pacific Gas and Electric with a hostile takeover and then turn the so-called public utility into a true public system, a consumer-owned power cooperative like the one proposed by the city of San Jose, California. So we know what we want. Right. At least I do. San Jose has this proposal all laid out for how they would set up a public utility using Pacific Gas and Electric. Uh, according to Palace, the state can do this through a hostile takeover bid for PG&E stock now bouncing on the floor at about $4 per share. Yeah, so he it's could buy down. it up for nothing. Yeah, it's uh, been done before in New York. For decades, Long Island lighting company like PG&E left millions of customers in the dark, endangered their safety, and emptied their pockets with monstrously high electric bills. Then in 1998, the customers seized ownership of the utility at low cost below its book value. In 1981, as executive director of the state's legislature's Science and Technology Commission, Palast was tasked with drafting a law that would allow customers to buy out Long Island Lighting Company cheaply. Yeah. So he worked there. The company's stock, like PG&E's, was in the toilet, trading at a fraction of its book value. So he figured if corporate raiders can take over companies cheap to reap giant profits, why couldn't the state do a hostile takeover to keep the public safe and reduce energy bills? And also keep costs under control. Yeah. We'll always need a public power grid. That goes without saying. And I think it's important to keep that well, in mind. you don't know that. Well, Maybe 500 years from now, we'll have a... Okay. Uh, well, in my lifetime, I think we'll always yeah, be, be reliant upon a public power grid. However, this is also an opportunity to develop microgrids in local communities with exactly. alternative energy. And also, independently of all of that, your own home should be its own power grid. So this is an economic issue, but it's also an opportunity for us to really reorient our way of getting energy. Yeah. And you're right. Why not? Why not buy it? Yeah. And as long as they have above ground cables for energy transfer, we're going to run the risk of more fires. Yeah. So they did. They bought Long Island Lighting Company. Yeah. And the new publicly owned system rapidly improved reliability and safety, boosted green energy programs, reduced electric bills, and even shut down and dismantled a dangerous nuclear plant. PG&E's transformation from a public utility into a corporate greed machine began 30 years ago when Ken Lay, a chief en executive at Enron. Enron. You remember Ken? Hell yes. God. Is he really dead, Enron? Yeah. Yeah. A criminal enterprise, Enron, yeah. parading as a power company, convinced California to lead the nation in deregulating its power markets. 
So what happens is consumers weren't protected. Only the sellers of power were protected. Right. Enron was was a Ponzi scheme, and they took advantage of the deregulation. And there were people, as the state was losing power, who worked for Enron that were laughing about old ladies without power. Because they were going through blackouts and brownouts in order because Enron was choking off the amount of energy coming into the state, creating a market for higher prices that they were taking advantage of. Yeah, people who need electric equipment just to survive, right, you know, people right. who are monitored, hospitals and whatnot, these guys uh, at Enron were laughing about it. Right. They turned electricity into a commodity, and they took advantage of their, their place in the marketplace. Palace suggests California should file legal action on behalf of every customer, and that will cut the price for the takeover. So it's a hostile takeover. Good. The only thing more dangerous than leaving PG&E in the hands of PG&E is the proposal to give control of PG&E to the financier known as the vulture. Paul Elliott Singer of Elliott Management. Singer has bought up a hunk of PG&E's debt cheaply, and he's looking to the bankruptcy courts to adopt a reorganization plan that would give him a giant payday at ratepayer expense. This is one of those vulture capitalists yeah. who goes around the world buying up debt, reprioritizing that debt so that he makes a, just a gazillions of dollars worth uh, yeah. off the backs of people who are financially distressed. Singer might screw up California's program to reduce pollution and greenhouse gas emissions if he were to buy this out, because Singer is the chairman of the Manhattan Institute, a far-right climate change-denying think tank behind the fake trope that the Green New Deal would cost $1 trillion and destroy the economy. That's who this guy is. And he wants to buy our power grid. So we should hand it over to him. Northern California's power grid. So beware. Trickle-down economy. Hostile takeover right now. Hostile takeover. From NPR. Multinational mergers. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission released its October 16th order allowing T-Mobile to merge with Sprint in a $26.5 billion deal. The commissioners approved the deal last month on a closed-door three-to-two party-line vote. See, they do it. Closed door. Mm -hmm. This was a Republican-dominated committee. But but they did it in the dark because nobody can see ooh. it. <laughs> They're so secretive, <laughs> sneaky, Adam Schiff. And Shifty Schiff. Yeah. By the way, that's a racist Jewish trope. Shifty. He, yeah. he, come on, he is Jewish. It could be ignorance on the part of our presidents, in fact. Well, you know, more likely, yeah, but, but never yes, ascribe he keeps to, using it even though it's been pointed out to him. Yeah. The merger still faces a legal challenge by a coalition of state attorneys general. Good. Yeah. They're challenging this. In the deal, the promises that T-Mobile and Sprint made are not enforceable. They're just, yeah, sure, we'll do that. Maybe. (laughs) The merger will shrink the number of national providers from four to three, reducing competition overall. Gosh, I wonder what could happen. Nothing could possibly go wrong, (laughs) Nathan, because it's the invisible hand of the marketplace, and they always are right. Again, this is corporate welfare right here. And it's, it's an immense amount of money. When these corporate welfare deals go down, it's not in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's usually now in the billions yeah, of dollars. That's what this would be. Yeah. 
Yeah. In the short term, this merger will result in the loss of potentially thousands of jobs, wrote Commissioner Jeffrey Starks. He was one of the Democrats. In the long term, or Democrat appointed, in the long term, it will establish a market of three giant wireless carriers with every incentive to divide up the market, increase prices, and compete only for the most lucrative customers. Mm-hmm. This is the plan. Yeah. Make lots of money. Smash and grab. Smash and grab. In the state's lawsuit, led by New York and California, state attorneys general argue that the merger will reduce competition and lead to increased costs for consumers. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of looking what the past has brought us. Right. Their suit goes to trial in December. Sprint, by the way, is owned by Japanese conglomerate SoftBank. And T-Mobile is owned by Germany's Deutsche Telekom. This is just one example of something that happens every day, all day long, in Wall Street and in the halls of power. This is legalized corruption. This is legally sanctioned corruption. They are getting money out of us, the public. We own the airwaves. We own what they're buying. We paid for them. We lease to them the license to use our airwaves. Yeah. It's ours, not theirs. And now they have completely corrupted the system. 5G, all of these things were developed with the cooperation and the funding of the U.S. public. Yes. So, again, they are swooping in and taking advantage of us. We've been foistered again. Once again, I hate when we get foistered. Yes, Mahler. (laughs) From Wired. Scientists now know how sleep cleans toxins from your brain. What? Yeah. Huh? What? Sleep. Huh? What? Cleans toxins from your brain. Synchronizing brain waves of non-REM sleep may play a key role in preventing toxins from accumulating in your brain. Brain? During Don't do that. It disturbs me because one day, Mike, I'll be visiting you in a hospital. Yeah. And you'll be saying, "Brain?" Or it could be me. Or it could be it you. It could be me saying, "You could be brain." Brain. And then then you'll start crying. There'll be these big tears rolling down your cheeks. I'm sorry, Nathan, that I ever thinking about Nathan and crying during non-REM sleep. Large, slow waves of cerebrospinal fluid wash over the brain. EEG readings show that this is because neurons synchronize, turning on and off at the same time. That means less blood flows to the brain. Cerebrospinal fluid then moves in when there's less blood. It kind of takes the place of it, filling the space left behind and cleaning it. Good. That's a good thing. Yeah. They're just in there. Working. Yeah. The night crew is in there working. The study also could have clinical applications for treating Alzheimer's. New programs for people with Alzheimer's might focus on increasing the amount of cerebrospinal fluid that washes over the brain. That could help clear out beta amyloid, which contributes to Alzheimer's, and help with other molecules like tau, a protein that gets tangled in Alzheimer's patients' brains and harms the connections between neurons. So get a brainwash. I want to get me one of them brainwashes. Yeah, I guess you. I've always wanted to be brainwashed. No, I didn't. That's why you feel refreshed. You sleep at night. You have non-REM sleep. Yeah. The cerebrospinal fluid is in there doing its job. You wake up in the morning. Feeling good. And finally, the co-founder of Students for Trump. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> I don't know. Students for Trump. He's a moron. I know that. The co-founder of Students for Trump, who had faked online that he was a lawyer, this co-founder. Oh, God. And he wasn't a lawyer. <laughs> the co-founder of Students for Trump pleaded guilty to $46,000 in fraud charges. Oh, God. The company you keep. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. WeeklySignals.com Subscribe now.